Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Anita Posh Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you updated with topics related to Bitcoin on a global stage and also the local impact it has on communities and regular people. My guest today is Ben Ark from Wales. He is a FOSS hobbyist advocate and educator. FOSS stands for Free Open Source Software. That's basically also what Bitcoin is. Ben has been building hardware and software for Bitcoin and the Lightning Network since around 2014. We are talking about the Welsh Bitcoin scene and also his projects like the Bowser, a DIY hardware wallet, or the Nostar messaging client, which could enable completely decentralized markets and social media apps. I think this is quite revolutionary what um, Ben is working on here. As always, you can watch this interview on YouTube and you can listen to it on the go as a podcast. You can find all the links to the podcast players and to YouTube on anita.link slash subscribe. Before we start, a short word from my sponsors and then on to the show. Enjoy! This week is Valentine's Day and if you really love your cryptos, you should treat them well. The safest way of storing cryptocurrencies long-term is offline in a physical way. That's why Coinfinity developed the Card Wallet, the professional cold storage solution. The Card Wallet supports various security features such as high-quality materials and tamper-proof features which prevent the manipulation of the card. Get yourself a Card Wallet now. You will get 20% off if you order at cardwallet.com slash Anita. That's cardwallet.com slash Anita. Did you know that many internet service providers lock your internet activity and sell that data on to other big tech companies or advertisers? That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your ISP. So what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. You just download the app, tap one button on your device and you're protected. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. So stop handing over your personal data to ISPs and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Anita. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Anita to get free extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Anita right now to learn more. Local Bitcoins is an easy, fast and safe way to buy and sell Bitcoin directly from person to person. Join Local Bitcoins to bring Bitcoin everywhere and secure your financial freedom. 
Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, everybody. Hello, Ben. Ben Ark is here today with us. Hello, please introduce yourself to our listeners and to our viewers. Yeah, hello, I'm Ben Ark. I do uh, software, hardware projects in uh, the Bitcoin space, all free and open source, and encourage education and people learning to develop and build their own things and having a little bit more autonomy um, over the way in which they interact with Bitcoin and uh, Bitcoin devices. So that's kind of my main thing. Okay, that's the short word for it is FOSS, I think. It's free open source yeah, FOSS, yeah. software, yeah. And the free bit's very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the free part is very important. So why is free and open source software so important in general? It's just so there was a period where proprietary interests tried to claim ownership over developers' work. A developer would make a piece of software and historically people work in with computers and, and developing programs, they're able to share those programs with each other very freely uh, and openly. And if, if you wanted some functionality and you, your friend had worked on that, then you could take their code and put in your code. And there was a science and it, 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 ideas flowed very easily. And then proprietary interests in the sort of late 70s tried to claim ownership over it and copyright over it and got these developers to sign all these horrible non-disclosure agreements saying they wouldn't share the code and the software and there was a few developers uh, like Richard Storm for example who found this quite frustrating so they said sorry and they left their very comfortable highly paid positions in places like MIT in California and they went off to develop uh, free and open source systems for well, free for the the first thing they did was develop the, the Free Software Foundation, Richard Stallman did the Free Software Foundation, and the GPLL license, which meant that you could license your, your software in a way where people could use it and distribute it. They would, they needed to, if they, you know, improved it, then they should share that code with the community and, and help the software grow and build out. And then I think it was more with Linus Torvalds and the, the Git stuff. So, Obviously, Linus Torvalds was working on Linux with a couple of other developers. One of them, in fact, was in, in Swansea, in South Wales, where I am. And uh, yeah, they were working on Linux, and it was really messy working on open source, free and open source software at that time. So they came up with the, the Git way of you know, project managing free and open source software. And with Git, what other people are working on, and it's not just that you're contributing to code, it's, it's expected that you explain what you're doing. And you explain, you know, the, the, the code in which you've changed and, and, and yeah, and what, what you've been working on. And that's a big part of Git, which is why with every commit, yeah, you have to give it a message and, and, and talk through what you're doing. Uh, and that kind of helped people from treading on each other's toes. So that's what kind of became for an open source software FOSS. But the, the, a lot of people will refer to open source. And I think it's important to, because with, without it being free as well, it's free as in free, not, not free beer, that then it's, it's not truly able for anybody to contribute to in a completely non-restricted way so yeah mm -hmm. so free and open source so does the free now mean it's free for developers to contribute or does it mean it's free for customers to use it yeah so i think it depends on which license you're using mm -hmm. doesn't it there's a whole bunch of different free and open source all my stuff i license under mit license but yeah there's a whole bunch of different fos licenses you can use some of them are more open source some of them are, are more on the free software uh, side. But yeah, my MIT to me is, is, is a nice 
general free and opens like FOSS, you know, license. I think also that. But it's well worth, it's well worth people reading the licenses, the different free and open source licenses which are out there and the slight nuances in the way they work is quite interesting. Mm -hmm. I think the Bitcoin white paper was also licensed with the MIT license, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it had to be. This is the thing, like when we talk about Bitcoin as this revolution, and really when you think of it, free and open source is the revolution and Bitcoin is almost a side chain off it. Like it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be possible if we didn't have free and open source software. You couldn't have Bitcoin as a proprietary system. It wouldn't work because you couldn't trust, because you couldn't vet the code and, and hack into the code and, and get it to do what you wanted. And you, you, you wouldn't know that there wasn't some malicious code in there trying to steal all your money. So it, Without free and open source software, you wouldn't have Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And the MIT license enables basically using the code and building upon it. What's the regulation or what's the license say? Yeah, yeah. Generally, that I'm no expert when it comes to free and open source uh, uh, licenses. But yeah, MIT is uh, people can use it for free, do whatever they want with it. Actually, my, one of my favorite free and open source licenses is called the, the D-Bad license, which is don't be a dick, which is, it's, it's, it's a bit silly, but it, people use this license. It's do whatever you want with my software. Do whatever. I don't care. Give me some recognition. Don't be a dick. If you make money off it, give me some money. Don't be a dick. And that's the, an ethos that where you think like yourself would think if somebody's using my stuff, then they should at least recognize me in a way and say it's, yeah, mine. I think. I think that's very important, even to a point where you almost overdo the recognition and, and the, the props in which you give to people, because you haven't got private ownership over this thing, but you've poured a lot of energy and time into it. And of course, you're not going to list absolutely everybody who's worked on the software, you know, all the software you've worked on, and then all the libraries which you used. But I think it's important to, to just try and give as much recognition as you can to the people who built the the things which you're then building your own thing on or you're using or you're promoting or you're you're sharing with people to say this is the source of where the information comes from and again git is very good at that so if you look at a git repo then you can see who the contributors are you can see where the software starts and that's often quite interesting if you have in in the bitcoin space for example there'll be some software projects which are quite heavily attached to a certain name and everyone will rep will think of that person when they think of that software but then if you go into the repo you'll see that Actually, they're, they're like the third biggest contributor. And there's a couple of people who are contributing a lot more and spending a lot more time on that software, which sometimes people don't mind, like they don't mind having a figurehead for a piece of software or whatever. But I think it is just, uh, it's almost like that concept of comradeship. Like you have to just acknowledge the work of others in a, on a platform where people are just giving up their own time for the, the benefit of the, the larger community or, or, or humanity or whatever, then I think it's just important to give people recognition for that. Hmm. Because it builds your social reputation in a way, yeah? your name also. I guess so, yeah, I guess so. Maybe these are petty hang-ups <laughs> from the concept of private ownership. I don't know. But I, I very much appreciate it if someone's using my stuff or whatever or to say, oh, thanks to Ben Ark for building this thing for spending hours and hours of his life <laughs> mm -hmm. so <laughs> and in some way in some ways actually i suppose this is a lot like science in general you, you do try and give recognition to people who've worked on things but you are part of a conversation aren't you among people developing this larger thing than yourself and uh, in, in in many ways it doesn't really care about you it's gonna progression is gonna happen and then you can choose to join in and, and progress something in a certain direction or build software out in a certain direction or build software which does a certain thing but if it's useful then it'll probably end up happening at some point anyway and it almost it doesn't care about you if you then go off and die or whatever it's not, it's not going to mourn you it's just going to keep moving forward and progressing <laughs> forward and that's you know that's generally how science works so there is a kind of ruthlessness it's not all like hippy dippy people sharing stuff and free and open source it's, there is a ruthlessness to the whole process of it but you know <laughs> 
But when you say it's free to use, how do you earn money? You also need to pay your rent. Yeah, so a a model which a lot of people use with free and open source is you'll have proprietary arms. So offering, obviously, if you're the person who's made the software, like if you think about something like BTC Pay Server, for example, if you want to use BTC Pay Server, install it in a big company, then um, it makes sense to employ the people who actually make the software to do that for you. Or as consultants, you spend some money on them as consultants. So a lot of that happens in, in free and open source projects. The people who are actually, you know, the people making the software, they're the, they're the people best placed to implement that software and help consult people if they want to implement it. Hmm. And let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin. How did you find Bitcoin and when was that? And uh, why did you decide it's important for you? I've got a, an awful memory, so I don't know when I found it. I've got absolutely, I'm hazy, but I, I know it was pretty. So in the UK, we were quite lucky. We had a lot of a new cycle on Bitcoin fairly early on and it kept coming back into news. And actually, it was fairly positive, the, the new cycle in the UK, I would say. It was interested in the concept of a digitally native money. I remember hearing things on the radio and so forth, and they were pretty positive. So we were quite lucky in that regard. I do remember I was at home for a period because I had an injury, and I remember researching Bitcoin quite heavily, but getting put off by the concept of mining and building a mining rig. And I think this is probably when people were still using graphics cards and things to mine, and then not thinking about it, but having this overwhelming urge to research it more, but just not having the time because I was busy working. I, I guess that was going on, but I was a victim of the, the 2008 uh, financial crisis in that I, I did everything which people told me I should do, which is buy, get on the property ladder. You know, that's what you need to do. Particularly in the UK, we're obsessed with property in the UK. I was a young guy, just got a job, was having a baby and they'd get on the property. So I got on the property ladder and then you know, the crisis happened. And with a very short period of time, I was in like tens of thousands of pounds of negative equity. And like the, the particular apartment which I had was in a very saturated market. Market. So it was, uh, it was incredibly bad investment, a very early on in my adulthood. And I was, you know, I was doing pretty well as a human being. I had a pretty good job. I was working as a teacher, but yeah. So I suffered in, in that crisis. And then later on, when it came to readdress getting a house and getting a mortgage and, and getting back on the ladder and all this sort of stuff, once all that would, you know, had been sorted out and fixed, then I just couldn't do it. I, I just didn't like the concept of a credit rating, for example, the, the, con the idea that people have all this information on you and they, they decide whether or not you're eligible for this rate or that rate or this mortgage or that mortgage. I just, I hate that whole process. And the idea of building your credit rating through accumulation of debt, and you, you can't be a, a truly functional human unless you accumulate all this debt, which you then pay off just so you can build your credit report so you can then lend money to own a house or whatever. So that, that just really frustrated me. So I, I was looking desperately for a free and open source alternative. I like the idea of having control over the, the things I'm running. So I run like Linux software operating system on my computer. I, you try and use all free and open source software, I always have. So it's made sense to try and use free and open source money as much as possible and then encourage growth and encourage it to expand where and which it could each to their own abilities their own need is sometimes how i think of bitcoin and how people contribute to bitcoin yeah that i suppose that was probably 2013 14 where i was like okay now i'm going to make a conscious effort to really invest time into this thing mm -hmm. and by that time you still were working as a teacher and in another job but when now i guess you are full-time working in the bitcoin space yeah so i i do so in my own personal life i got some little what we call them hobbles little things i do to earn money here and there but then yeah like alan bits for example that's something that's a piece of software which i've helped get off the ground and that's starting to to, to get traction so there's more and more people interested in implementing that and us being put in that 
position of being able to provide consultancy or helping people implement it. So there's more revenue streams which kind of open up, as it were. But I was very lucky because I had a little bit of a few sats lying around. My teaching career was absolutely phenomenal. I really loved it. It was great. Uh, But I worked in uh, specifically with uh, kids with very severe uh, learning difficulties, behavioural difficulties, and we were an expensive service. So when the austerity measures, again, this is the 2008 hang-up really, when austerity measures came in to try and claw back some deficit, then our services and services like ours were were the first to get squeezed, which was heartbreaking because the kids we were engaging with really relied upon our service, and now there's plenty of them out there who haven't got a service like that for them to to fall back on, just because council spend less money on such things. So it was quite nice at that time to be able to to just say, okay, I've got a little bit of money saved now. I can take some time off teaching Mm. and then concentrate on this software, hardware development stuff and and do something completely different for a little while. Maybe I'll go back to teaching at some point. I don't know. Mm. Uh, But yeah, it's in my mind, it's the greatest job in the world. Mm. And how is uh, Bitcoin in Wales? Do you have a community there? Do people use it? I mean, the Welsh, yeah. I I think the Welsh have a natural affinity with Bitcoin. So the, the Welsh, they've been subjugated and oppressed by the English for a very long time since Llewellyn the Great and the fall of the last Welsh king. And so within British culture, the Anglo-Saxons, when they invaded, they pushed the sort of native Brits into all the corners, which is why all the Celts, the Irish, the Cornish, the Scots and the Welsh, why we all kind of share cultural identity almost and why almost why also as well that the the anglo-saxons who was the masters at that time why they felt they needed to humanize and oppress the celts over the centuries so i think the welsh are very used to trying to find autonomy and self-sovereignty from uh, a ruler we, we it's part of our culture so i think we have a natural affinity to bitcoin i think we tend to gravitate towards Bitcoin. so the scene is pretty good in wales considering our population We've got one of the largest, I think it may even be the largest Bitcoin meetup in the UK, uh, which in Car- during peacetime, it obviously hasn't been running uh, during the COVID stuff. Mm. But yeah, no, that runs in Cardiff. And that's, uh, yeah, so, so the, the Bitcoin Wales, if you want to look it up on, on the, you can find the meetup for it. We should be meeting up again soon. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty going on in, in Wales. Lots of people interested in it. But yeah, it's, uh, we've got a small population and, I think because of that, maybe we don't produce as much stuff. But then in saying that, I think we maybe produce a lot more than the Scottish or Irish in terms of, well, well, maybe it's just my bubble, but I see a lot of kind of Welsh people within the Bitcoin Twitter and and so on working on on Bitcoin stuff. No, I, I, yeah, I I think we have a natural affinity to something which gives us a little bit more autonomy Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and, and from being subjugated, which Bitcoin does. Yeah. Nicely, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your products or your projects. Did you start then uh, working, doing coding for the Bitcoin blockchain or did you immediately, yeah, how did this evolve? Because I- Well, so I, I was, a, as I said, I was a teacher for years and one of the ways in which I could engage the kids was through working on like little hardware things. I was techie and, and would work on little hardware projects, little microcontrollers and things. But my development skills are very limited. So I'm not you know, classically trained developer or anything. I've just learned on the job, as it were. Uh, and when I started building things in Bitcoin, it took me ages. It took me such a long time to get a handle on. So the, the first thing I did was when I went to, I went to the first lightning hack day in Berlin. And there was someone there and they had a sweet machine and had a, a lightning full node in. And you could pay for some sweets on a web app and then it would spit the sweets out. And I looked at that and I was like, you probably don't want your full node in a sweet machine. Someone could just pick up and walk away with. So you want your full node somewhere safe. And then this really wants to be like a follower device, which, you know, 
connects to your node. So I thought, well, how can I do that? I, I knew that these microcontrollers existed and I knew that some of them were good enough that they could do HTTPS request. So I started working on that and it was really, I, I have to give a, 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 again, huge recognition to Fulmo and uh, Christian Roots for setting up the, the lightning hack days and particularly because there's an emphasis on building things. And they were just very encouraging, even if they could see that. Obviously, didn't know what I was doing, but <laughs> there was a kernel of a good idea there. And they were very encouraging in in, in making me develop that idea and, and trying to get other people to help me with that idea as well. So the first thing I did was get a microcontroller to do a, a request for an invoice and then display that invoice as a QR on an early paper screen display. And that took me, I don't know, six months to, to get that far. But then once I got that, I was able to then plug in uh, a switch, like a, a transistor, which would then switch on the little motor for the sweet machine. So you could pay the, 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 the invoice. And it was just as a follower device. So there's no credentials in there. It's literally just requires the invoice key, uh, macaroon, but it's just requesting an invoice, displaying the invoice. You pay it, spits out some sweets. So then. I was, what's also great about these hack days is you, the, the people you meet who then encourage you to and give you all these ideas. So one of the hack days was in New York on Wall Street. And I met a guy called George Fasaro and he was really interested in these little microcontrollers as well and how we can, because I have all these Andreas talks from years ago where he would talk about the IOT, the, you know, an internet of things sending all these microtransactions to each other. So it makes sense to try and get these little devices to engage with Bitcoin and send microtransactions. So we were chatting in, at this pack day in New York, and we were talking about how cool it would be to have a static, not have to use an e-ink display, to just have a static QR code, which you could just hit, and then you could pay an invoice somehow, and then get something to turn on. And he actually developed a, an arcade machine, which had a, a stat, just a, a sticker QR code on, and then he hacked a Claire wallet. So a Claire wallet, instead of when you scanned the QR code, it was actually a URL. And when you hit that URL, you got an invoice back for a certain amount. And then a Claire wallet would then pay that amount. So that's probably the, that would be the first example of like something, something which we're using now quite regularly called LNURL, but the ability to have your wallet do a get request and then get some information, get an invoice and then pay that invoice as opposed to scanning, which means means you can remove that need for the, the screen. So that was very interesting. And we'll come back to that in a bit. But the after I had the e-paper display, the microcontroller, I then connected a keypad. I was like, okay, so now, you know, if I connect a cheap little 50p keypad with numbers on, I can type in an amount. And then when I press hashtag, it will request an invoice for that amount, then display that amount on the little screen. So I'm like, cool, I've made up like a point of sale. So then it was a case of, of figuring out the best box to put that point of sale in and trying to figure out a way of getting as cheap as possible. Eventually, I think I managed to get that whole so that's called the, the project for anyone's interest. It's, it's on my GitHub, ArcBTC on GitHub. And uh, the repo is called The Quickening. And it's uh, under $15 Bitcoin point of sale you can make and uh, use in the, in the wild. It works. But I also wanted like a more out of the box solution. So it was something people didn't have to put together themselves. M5 Stack, which is a company who package uh, these microcontrollers in nice little form factors like this. So this is basically an ESP32. You can probably see it in the back. There's an ESP32 and there's a little screen and there's some buttons. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is all the hardware which I was using, but it's pre packaged in this nice little product they do this thing called faces kit where you get like a little keypad as well so it's basically the same thing but you can attach it to this little keypad i could build my point of sale on this and it, this is like a 50 dollars device it even comes with a little charging dock and uh, it's got a nice tft screen as well so part of the problem with the e-paper was you know, it darks 
bar, for example, you couldn't really use it without an, an additional light. Whereas this has like a backlight, so the QR is like back, backlit as well, which is nice. So in the iconic bar in Berlin, room 77, they were using my Bitcoin point of sale there in the wild for like a year. And it was doing a lot of transactions. And it, it worked. It, it worked. And that was great to see. When went, particularly when I went to the, the Lightning Conference last year, and then we went to the pub afterwards, and everyone's using my little point the of year, sale. The year before, 2019 already. Yeah, it's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Because last year there was no hack day. Yeah. <laughs> there was no yeah, conference, but, sadly. Yeah. It's, it was such, such a write off, though, wasn't it, last year? Nothing seemed to happen. Yeah. Really. <laughs> it's bizarre. Anyway, so that was great to see. And then having it running in the wild and having it being used in a bar, I got feedback, like really useful feedback from the bar owner, Jorg. One of the, the problems he had was this thing was generating invoice from his LD node, but it's a bit of a controversial subject when Bitcoins, but he had to pay his taxes. And he had to account for all these transactions mm-hmm. and where all this money was coming from. Currently on LND, you couldn't, at that point, you couldn't export your transactions as a, a CSV. And it was, was quite hard to differentiate between the different transactions, bring it into like a spreadsheet or something. A question in between. How can yeah. I now export a CSV? I only know how to use Thunderhub. There I can see the transactions, but I don't know how to export them. I, I, I don't know if okay. it's possible still. Okay. I don't know. But the other thing I was working on for the Room 77 as well was my ATM. And you can probably see behind me, actually, if it's mm-hmm. that one there, that's my ATM. And that's basically the same as this, except instead of buttons, I put in a coin mech. So you put a coin in, it registers how much money you've put in, and then it goes and generates. But instead of generating an invoice to pay, obviously, it's generating an, the ability for you to withdraw funds using this LNURL thing, which I'll probably get into a little bit later. But the problem is with the ATM, if you have that connected to your LND node, because it has the ability to withdraw funds, it has the ability to withdraw all your funds on your node. So that's scary. Like you don't want to put your admin macaroon on one of these things and then have someone steal the ATM, steal your admin macaroon and then take all your money. So I needed like a way of, of splitting into accounts so I could have an ATM account with say a hundred euros in. And once that's depleted, I could physically add more. I could have a little piece of software which added more, but I could do it in a way which was, you know, safe. And I also wanted the ability uh, for when transactions came through to be able to like export to CSV and do some stuff which like a real business would find useful. Uh, so that's where the idea for LMBits came from. So LMBits is an extra layer you can put on top of a funding source like an LND or Sea Lightning or OpenNode or LMPay or whatever the funding source may be. And it just, you can easily make lots of little accounts and then have different amount of funds in each one of those accounts. Every one of those accounts or wallets has its own API keys. So my ATM can connect to it, ask to withdraw funds. My little point of sale can connect to it, ask for an invoice and, and pay funds to it. But then I also thought it'd be quite cool to have like extensions in LMBits, which would also benefit a business. So we built all these, you know, extra little extensions, like a little easy point of sale extension. So you could get a point of sale on your phone. It would connect to a wallet on LMBits and you could send money to it. So effectively by sending money to your LMBits, you're sending money to your node. And it's just that an extra sort of layer of security and uh, yeah, being able to add a little bit more functionality, split up just as a thin layer, which sits on top of, of a funding source. So that's the whole story of the hardware. But I should also mention as well, while I, as an educator, while as a teacher, while I was developing all this stuff, I documented the journey and I, I made a whole load of tutorials, which you can check out on the World Crypto Network. There's a playlist called BTC IoT and on, on there, there's 30 tutorials for this hardware stuff and getting these things to do all sorts of funky experiments. If anyone, it's a very rewarding 
way of learning to develop by developing on hardware because you get a, a, like a material world reward for it. You get this thing to turn on and then you can connect it to a switch and then that turns something on when you pay an invoice or something. So it's, I find that much more rewarding than, than just developing Bitcoin stuff on, on or, or de- learning to develop uh, in general just on a web browser or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. On the last uh, global Bitcoin meetup, somebody presented the Bowser wallet. Can you tell us a little bit about the, what is the Bowser wallet? Go- going back to the idea again of giving props, I'm going to make sure I don't need too many people out here, but the, I went to Bitcoin 2019 in San Francisco and there was no one, like I was used to the hack days where there was always like a corner where you could sit on your laptop and build stuff. Um, and there wasn't that. There was just the talks and then kind of business stands and whatever else, giving out free swag. I thought it was important, and it's important that there's a little corner for semi-autistic hackers to go and sit on and work on their projects. <laughs> so I put a couple of tables together and I brought a bunch of the hardware kits. So I brought 20 of the quickening hardware kits to give out to people and show people how to use. And actually, no, OpenNode did sponsor. They, they put some money towards that. So that was very good of them. So I was sat on this hack table, which was very ad hoc. I just made it. And uh, oh, I tell you who the first person was to come and say hello. It was uh, Dorian Nakamoto. He came and said hello. So we were the first at the conference. Okay. Now, he was paid to be there, I think, so people could take pictures of him. Okay, that's know, the guy that, that, that Newsweek told to, that he would be Satoshi yeah. Nakamoto, which is not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is not true anyway. But, but the way he watched him play, so the way he disproves the fact he's Satoshi Nakamoto is, is, you know, he's not a good developer and he's a sort of bumbling fool and blah, blah, blah. I actually spoke to him for like two hours. We got on really well. Mm-hmm. And in a previous life, he worked on telephony stuff, like answer phone software for answer phones and, and things. And, and after that conversation with him, because we were really early, everyone else was like dribbling in and we were there like an hour before it started. And then the first hour in, so people were getting there slow. And after speaking to him for a few hours, I was like, this guy could be Satoshi. Like, totally. <laughs> he, could. He, he had all the right skills and he was, he kept playing himself down, but he was much brighter than he, he, would let, he was letting on. He's really interested in the hardware stuff. Anyway, so that was pretty cool. So as a side note, but that, that Bitcoin 2019, I also met Stepan Snigrov, who's to say he wants to sit in the corner and build stuff. And he, he makes the Spectre wallet. So he's really interested in hardware. At that point, he hadn't made Spectre wallet, but he was working on, yeah, building towards making Spectre wallet. He was really interested in the ESP32, which I was using for my point of sale. And I use for pretty much all my stuff, actually. It's a really good little microcontroller. And uh, over those couple of days, he helped me like hack together a watch-only wallet. So you could have an XPUB on an ESP32 and then generate fresh addresses on the ESP32, which is really cool. He said, I say he helped me. He, did, he, he made a watch-only wallet and I sat next to him, just <laughs> encouraging him, giving yeah. him... Yeah, I, I, I've seen him also on the hack day and also listened to his talk. He's a very clever guy. Yeah. He's a very good, he was a, before working in Bitcoin, he was a quantum physicist. Mm-hmm. So legitimately he's a professor in, in university. So we're very lucky to have him. Not, not only for the hardware wallet stuff, but for also letting to lie all this FUD around quantum computers destroying Bitcoin. He's the, he's the person to go to if, if you want to get any info on that. So yeah, so he helped me develop the, the watch only wallet. I then managed to get the watch-only wallet to to print out to the e-paper screen, which was quite cool because you could plug the watch-only wallet, hardware wallet in, and it would generate an invoice on the e-paper screen. Then you could unplug it, but the invoice would, sorry, not the invoice, but the enlightening mode, the address, the Bitcoin address. When you unplugged it, the Bitcoin address would remain on the e-paper screen. So that's interesting, an interesting concept. You could just 
turn something on and then get this in address, a fresh address, and then it would stay on the paper screen. But obviously I want to turn that into a proper Bitcoin. After a while, Stepan released a really good library for a C library, which I could use in Arduino for this, you know, programming this little ESP32 microcontroller thingy. And I was able to get it working on, you know, on one of these things. But I was like, okay, it needs to have, I wanted it to have kind of a gimmick. So it wasn't just a Bitcoin wallet. I want because I think one of the, the best things about these things is they're off the shelf. You're not subject to the supply chain attack. If the factory which are making trezors or ledgers or whatever, they know they're going to be hardware wallets. But the factory making these things, they don't know they're going to be hardware wallets. And as, so it's, it's almost in disguise, just as it is off the shelf. So I thought it'd be quite cool if you could improve the disguise even more by, by, by so I put a little game on it, a little Tetris game. So when you turn it on, you can play a little Tetris game. But if when you turn it on, you press like the C button within a couple of seconds, it then prompts you to input a key. You input a, a key. And then after you input that key, you then have access to your Bitcoin wallet where you can like sign transactions and generate addresses and, and do all that how, stuff you can how, do. How can you import the key? So I use an SD card, actually. I like the air gap cold card solution of using an SD card. So it's literally a text file on an SD card where you put a, you can put your, your key in there and then you can import it. Or I think you can put your seed mnemonic in there and then import it. And then you can also pass commands as well so if you want to reset i think you just like literally type reset in all capitals in this text file plug it into this and then it will trigger a reset someone could do that and, and reset your device but the idea is like if you had to cross border lines and you wanted to do you wanted to take some bitcoin with you in a disguised way if you were stopped you could say oh this is just a little tetris game i'm using to, to play on the way and then actually it's got your bitcoin in obviously it's a diy project so please anyone who puts Bitcoin on one of these things, make sure you can also restore that mnemonic, that seed and get your funds some other way than just using that device because that's not really recommended and probably don't use it for too much money. But for, you know, for a few thousand pounds or euros or something, then it's I think it's a, a fair thing to use. Uh, and in the future as well, I'll add um, some multi-sig support. So that's when it re these things really do become useful. Mm -hmm. because, and Stepan has spoken a lot about this. If you have hardware, which is the factory who's making it knows that it's going to become a Bitcoin hardware wallet device, then there could be something malicious in there. Whereas if you combine it with a multi-sig device, which isn't subject to that supply chain attack, then, you know, your Bitcoin wallet then isn't subject to supply chain, even though you're using the secure elements, you're using a secure element in a nice professionally designed Bitcoin wallet, hardware wallet, but you're also using an off the shelf device. That's when it becomes quite powerful. So it'd be nice to see the, the project develop in that direction as well. But I made that and then just put it out there during lockdown beginning of this year. And yeah, it's pretty cool. People made them and they enjoyed it. I need to go back and go back to the project and add more functionality to it at some point. But contributors always welcome, as I said, ARC BTC on GitHub. But yeah, there's, I, I can't list all the projects which I've put out because there's so many and I forget them. But if you go on there, you'll, you'll be able to, and they've all got video tutorials as well. Yeah. I found the Bowser wallet demo very interesting. And also the idea to like distract the border guys with a game is phenomenal. And well, we quite like the idea. These microcontrollers are powerful things. And we were talking about in IoT devices like your iot light bulb or whatever quite often you've got a little microcontroller in there and if push came to shove and and it was like a apocalypse type scenario where you needed to make hardware wallets for some reason you could go and you could smash all these iot devices open and you could turn all the little microcontrollers into um bitcoin hardware wallets okay. it's quite a, quite a, it's quite a fun quite a fun idea but just the idea of making it as, as many things as you can into bitcoin hardware wallets is, I think, is, is quite interesting when you make it free and open source and diy and you build like a, a developer community just hobbyist developer community make a community around 
making hardware wallets. You have all this weird innovation then, like my decoy thing. A professional company's not going to come up with a decoy hardware wallet. Someone might find that useful. Like the e-paper thing for the watch-only wallet, like that that could be some really useful functionality for someone in some scenario. So you, you open it up then to the innovation of the masses, which I think is lacking currently in, in the hardware wallet scene. So it's great to see more hardware wallets DIY hardware wallets coming out. And I imagine this year or next year we'll have a cottage industry of a very functional, secure hardware wallets for under $10. Wow. I, I can imagine that becoming a thing, which would be great because then more people will have access to them and use them. Yes, of course. Also, like p thinking about people in Africa and everywhere around the world they don't who don't have so much money as we have, actually, that would be a great thing. But like from your from the perspective of being a FOSS software developer or hardware developer, one day there will be a company coming in, taking your idea and making lots of money off it. Won't that happen? Pa Perhaps, I don't know, who knows? They're welcome to, but it's still free and open source. If they, and they, if they're using the software I've been working on, then, or if they, if they use my code, then they, they're going to have to contribute it back to the community. It will benefit the free and open source community. But yeah, I, I don't think you'll have big, I think that the days of a company like Trezor making money hand over fist by selling very cheap hardware for a high price tag because it's like specialist Bitcoin hardware. I think that's come to an end. And I have heard that within the industry, a lot of these companies are diversifying because they know the good times are over that these, this hardware isn't expensive and they're not that hard to make. So, well, so it, it is possible to have very functional cheap hardware wallets and, and i imagine a cottage industry of people so like crypto cloaks the guy who makes the, the company which makes the boxes for nodes that sort of stuff like people making them just in their, their garages well this, this the little industry of, of people making producers making these things will, will happen as opposed to big companies i think but then also we'll see big companies innovating that was quite interesting was the, the blockstream jade because they basically used the same hardware i used for their for their wallet and oh there there we are as well going back to bitcoin 2019 in fact one of the people I gave that point of sale kit to, which I spoke about the, the keypad, the paper screen and showed how to use it was a guy called Ken Sedrick. And he's the guy who then went on to use that, that hardware to make the, the Lethe kit blockchain commons hardware wallet. It's like a box, which you can use like crypto tools in it. So you can use it as a hardware wallet, but it's not specifically a hardware wallet. So it's very, it's fun to put stuff out there and then see what comes back, like what people make with it. But then I think it's really important to give each other props and mm. say th thanks for that contribution. So yeah, but it's, uh, it's fun. That, that Bitcoin 2019 San Francisco conference, a lot of good things seemed to come out of it. And I think it was just, this is if you're, if you need to step out into the community and start communicating with people, try and go to when it, you know, peacetime when it's conferences are a thing again. It's if you can like get yourself to a conference, get yourself to a meetup, start working with people on things, start getting something in the wild software, hardware, and then it all just like snowballs from there. And then you're never sure of a good idea ever again, because there's okay. people working on good ideas from your software or hardware. And, and yeah. yeah, so it's great to see interesting things come back from putting stuff out there mm -hmm. and also being part of that conversation. That's true. Yeah. And now a short break for the fact of the week, sponsored by local bitcoins. Bitcoin does not discriminate. With access to some information and technology, anyone can mine, trade, send and receive transactions or develop the ecosystem behind Bitcoin, regardless of gender, nationality or other background factors. Because of that and other favorable conditions, the inclusion of women in Bitcoin has increased considerably over time. Even still, there's a road ahead in terms of gender equality. At the moment, women represent only 14.2% of the community engagement in Bitcoin. 
This is, however, a small improvement from the 12.3 figures in 2020. Peer-to-peer trading has a transformative potential to empower women financially. This can help change the social landscape for the better, especially in the developing world. Thanks to local bitcoins for the fact of the week. And I think you also have done a little work, a lot of work in the software department. <laughs> Let's say it like that. And one of the, the results is the Nostra protocol, Nostra. Nostra? I yeah, well, I mean, I, I can't take credit for that. That's uh, Fiat Jeff. Me and uh, there's this developer called Fiat Jeff, mm-hmm. and we seem to have some sort of I don't know. We seem we seem to have some sort of like connection. I think we're very we have, even though we have politically very different outlooks on the world. I think we have a uh, 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 similar kind of interests when it comes to software solutions, hardware solutions. Because I actually. So with the the arcade machine I spoke about before, where you could scan a, a, a QR code and then request an invoice and pay an invoice, I was bugging George and Rootsal as well, because Christian Rootsal was in, into the idea. I was bugging them to come up with a protocol, come up with something formulated, and then propose it to the wider Bitcoin community. And they just didn't do it because they're both really busy. So eventually I went nuts and I, was, I sat down and I, I put this thing on the Bitcoin mailing list, suggesting the ability, like a standard for wallets, lightning wallets, to agree that they can do these get and post requests for information from, and then, and then you could have, you know, it would feel like a stack, it's static invoice. You just have a URL and a QR code, you scan it, and then it requests an invoice. It's the same functionality we had, we had with the arcade machine. So yeah, so I wrote this thing and then there was one person who got back to me and that was Fiat Jeff. And Fiat Jeff was in, and Anton from uh, BLW Wallet. They were working on LNURL protocol, which is essentially that. It's the ability for wallets to do a get and post request. And you can add all sorts of really interesting functionality. Not only can you just send money to a QR code, you can scan a QR code. Your phone does a, a get request to the, the QR code. The QR code says, send me an invoice for thousands Toshis. Your, your wallet on your phone creates an invoice for thousands Toshis, sends it to the thing, and then that pays it. And then boom, you get money in your, in your wallet. So the experience for the user is you're just you're scanning a QR code and then suddenly you get money in your wallet, which is uh, you're withdrawing money. You're pulling money out from that QR code. But actually, there's this communication happening between your wallet and the service. So that's LNURL. And so that was something we both had an interest in. But similarly, when I, I made an extension for LNBits, I had this idea for a decentralized censorship-resistant marketplace. And the idea was that kind of you have a market stall of products, and then you can point those products at kind of a front-of-house shop client thing and then it would that would list those products and the customer could come along and buy those products but if that thing got taken down it'd be so inconsequential it'd be very easy to spin up another one and just point your products at that and in fact as a merchant you could have your products pointed at lots of different of these clients these shops so this is my idea called Diagon Alley um, and I made like a very rudimentary extension for LM Bits, trying to explain that idea no one else really got it but Fearjaff was like you really liked it so he tried to work on, help me work on making it into a protocol, but it wasn't quite good enough. Anyway, like six months on, he comes out with Nosta, which he said was partly influenced by Diagon Alley, the idea that, that you have a client-side uh, piece of software, and then in the, the trusted third parties, the things which you're sending the data to, they're like inconsequential, like you could take them down. It doesn't matter. You can just spin them up easily. Um, and you can have lots of these things running and coming to falling down, you know, and it, it, it'd be fine. You just very easily pop them up again because obviously building a decentralized system is very hard having trusted third parties makes things makes things a lot easier but then the trusted third party becomes uh, a target because it's a centralized 
point of failure, isn't it? But if those centralized point of failures aren't centralized, like you, you can take them out and it doesn't really matter, then those trusted third parties, they're not, they're not, they're inconsequential. So Nostar works like that. You have the ability to send packets of information through a WebSocket to this thing. And then other people can pull that information from that, this, this was a relay from this piece of software, this relay, which means you can make like a decentralized Twitter, for example, and you can send uh, a note, like a post through this WebSocket to this relay. And then somebody else who's like following you can pull that note from that relay. So the way we have the accounts are set up in Nostar, the client, which you're using, so you're say your, your account on this decentralized Twitter, you have a Schnorr public key and a Schnorr private key. You give your public key out to the world. And then you, when you make a post, you sign that post with your private key, send it to the relay. Anyone who's following your public key can pull that post, verify that it's, you know, been signed by you because they've got your public key. And uh, yeah, you can, you can quickly make like a decentralized kind of Twitter social network thing, which I think we all agree is probably quite important and, and a useful uh, thing to, to, to have. But not only can you send notes of information, you can also that diagonally concept, you can build that on it. You could have the clients, instead of sending posts, they're sending product information. And then a, another client, which is like a front of house type shop thing, is pulling that product information, displaying it in a way which people can access and use it. So the relay is just like sending the information between the merchant and the buyer, the customer. But then the way I'm, I've been, so I've started working on this concept. The way in which I've been working on it, the actual uh, order is all encrypted because we're using keys. So we can encrypt the information. So the, the actual order, which is put in by the buyer is encrypted. So that the relay doesn't even know what it's communicating. It's just, it knows it's communicating products and feedback. And then the actual order process and the payment process is all encrypted through the relay. So it's just a super exciting concept, the Nostar concept. It's actually really simple. I'm surprised. Someone else hasn't already thought of it and, and implemented it. And again, it's just cool to be like, to have laid a couple of seeds, which helped grow or, or fertilize the whatever, if they were, the seeds were already there, I imagine. But the, the, having something like Diagonally contribute a little bit into the, the formation of that idea of something like the Nostar protocol is, is super cool. So the thing I've been working on specifically in Nostar is the decentralized Twitter client. And I actually wanted to try and get it released today so I could shill it on your show, but it's not, it's still not quite there. I've handed it to, to Fiat Jaff, I've said, and he's, uh, he's very kindly looking through it and auditing it and making sure it works properly and, and refactoring it as well. Cause my development skills aren't that great. He's able to make it look pretty for other developers for when they go in there. So hopefully when it, when we launch it, it should you know, work like Twitter. You just, you go on there, you have an account, you send messages, you can DM people in an encrypted way, except there's no Twitter headquarters. There's just these relays, which anyone can throw up. What is a relay? I, I know what a web server is, but what's a relay? So in this context, the relay is simply taking so it has, I have, a, so say if you're, say, yeah, say if you've got Alice here, Bob here, all right, so rather than make a, a web socket between each other, like a P2P type thing, because that's always quite slow and requires people to be online and all this other stuff, you send your data to this relay in this web socket, and then this relay just stores the data with your public key. And then Bob comes along and says, okay, I want the posts from this person. So his client goes and requests those posts for that public key and then just pulls it down to his client. So the relay is basically just connecting information, like making a connection to you. So actually I should probably take it back another step that a WebSocket is just like a, a bi-directional pipe, which you can send information through. 
yeah, in a really clean way. So you make your client makes a connection to the relay, and you can send information back and forth really easily. And uh, their client makes the connections to the relay, and can send information back and forth really easily. So what it means is actually, if you're both live, and then one of you you know writes a post, then it just goes boop boop, and the Bob it just appears in his list of posts, just you know, his Twitter feed or whatever. But if you're if one of them's offline and then comes back online, then their client will just go and fetch the most recent posts, mm-hmm. just like how Twitter works. So it's a little bit also like podcasting works because podcast players pull the new episodes from the RSS feed to their client. Yeah, it's really interesting. I haven't mentioned this because I don't know nearly enough about it, but someone's a few people are really interested in LM bits for uh, podcasting. Like I can't remember the name of this the 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 guy, like one of the main guys who innovated in podcasting. Adam uh, Curry. That's it. Yeah. He's been working on podcasting 2.0. Yeah. Yeah. And integrating Bitcoin and stuff. Exactly. I, my, my podcast is on that podcasting 2.0. It's the Sphinx app is doing this. Oh, Sphinx. Sphinx, Yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And uh, there are, I think, I guess 40 or 50 podcasts now on the Sphinx chat tribes site. So yeah. Uh, yeah, you can use that with the Sphinx app. So you can. Yeah, that's super yeah, cool. Yeah, but you need an a, a lightning note for it to work as a podcaster and also as a guest. So yeah, to use the Sphinx app. But yeah, this is where we were because Sphinx is brilliant. Because again, you can have a decentralized Twitter type thing on Sphinx, mm-hmm. can't you? But yeah, but there there is the requirement of having the lightning note, which exactly we think is probably a little bit too heavy for a lot of people. Okay. I, I, give people lots of options, lots of choices. Some people can use something like Sphinx. Other people could use something like Nostar. But yeah, no, yeah, he he popped in on the, I don't know if he's still interested, but Adam Corey popped in on the LM Bits Telegram chat and started asking about podcasting. And I was like, who's this guy asking about podcasting? This is, why, why are we interested in podcasting? That's <laughs> and, then, and then I realized who it was and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have been a bit more welcoming. But yeah, no, it's great to see. Actually, I, I did a, a chat with, so I do like, interviews and stuff on World Crypto Network as well. And I interviewed the Sphinx chat guys and uh, they were great. Mm-hmm. I was really into it. I, I, I really got on with them. They, their head's in the exact, exact right place and they're, they're producing fantastic software. Yeah, so it was really great to, to chat to them. Got very excited about Sphinx. And now uh, get back, let's get back to Nostra. When do you think that the next step will be visible? What's your plan for, or Fatiaf's plan for releasing something here? So it's all free and open source stuff, isn't it? So it's a bit like uh, Bitcoin or Lightning Network. Like it's messy and the sausage is being made out in public. You, mm. know, and you, you get to see all the, the gross bits before seeing the finished product. It's interesting actually, because I think Lightning Network, I still think Lightning Network is still minimal viable product. Like it's just only now becoming like a product you would launch as a functional, fully finished project, you know, the Lightning Network in itself. So a lot of people had these expectations, high expectations on it, but it's because it's pre open source, it was released very early on. Uh, I still think it's people need to cut a little bit of slack. It's still being developed. You could argue that of Bitcoin you know, up until a few years ago. But Nostar is a bit like that, really. I don't know. I was thinking this with the, my Nostar Twitter client. I shouldn't call it that because I might get sued by Twitter. My Nostar messaging client. I was thinking like, when should it be released? Because I had so like some functionality I thought about adding was the ability. Because at the moment, it's, we, our names on, on this Nostar client is like a public key, mm-hmm. which is terrible. Like you want a handle. So I thought, well, if you've got like a Twitter handle, like I've got Ben Ark, for example, on Twitter, at Ben Ark is my Twitter handle. If I posted on Twitter, I'm using Nostar. This is my public key. Then Nostar network could my client sorry could see that i've posted that for my twitter profile claim the at ben arc handle 
publish that to the rest of the relays on the Nostar network. And the proof is that I sent a tweet from that Twitter profile. And then within Nostar, I then have the same handle as, as what I've got in Twitter. And it's clarified and proved that it's me and not somebody else posing as me. And that, so the functionality would be that you, when you validate that I have at Ben Ark on Twitter through a Twitter post, that my Twitter client on Nostar could go and get the, the latest like 30 posts from that handle and then pull it into. So for, for the onboarding experience, someone's literally going onto the Twitter Nostar client, generating these two keys tweeting like sharing it from their twitter account which you could even do through a button maybe and then suddenly that that nostar twitter client has is populated with some data from your actual twitter handle uh, twitter account so i thought that'd be a really cool easy smooth transition from twitter to nostar twitter but i'm not sure whether to postpone releasing it until i have that functionality or just release it and say because mm. i think there is value in doing both. You can release something as a minimal viable product, a barely working, buggy, and then you get loads of great feedback and the development process is done by lots of people playing around with the software. Or on the flip side of that, by doing that, you're scaring people off. Like they join, they try and sign up, they have this big goofy handle, which doesn't make sense to them because they're used to seeing like a at whatever, and they don't know how to change it to a more readable pet name or handle so it's like the balance what when do you release something and i think if we're in open source like we, we often just release it as soon as possible and i it's really hard like gauging because i could release it now but again it would scare some people off yeah i guess so too yeah and the great thing i think about it is that you could you would have your social identity or your social profile forever you, if you would like exit twitter because you don't like it anymore now you can't take your tweets with you but with nostar no. you can take them everywhere that's a fantastic concept and absolutely and and because we're using keys like public public key cryptography we can we could so one of the options which again which i haven't implemented would be that before you sign a post so currently on my client your private key is kept on the local storage of your browser but it could be that to sign a post you would need a hardware wallet mm. so you would say i want to sign a post and then it would say send that a post to your hardware wallet and you say do you want to sign it you click yes and then you sign it and then publish it and that could be really useful for a company for example or quite often you think of someone like president trump on twitter <laughs> and he came out with also right outrageous crap but when we had that twitter hack like if those hackers hadn't been goofy kids they could have really caused like mm -hmm. they could have affected the, the stability of the world by releasing a few well-timed tweets that's quite a scary concept so really probably these political leaders they should have a multi-sig they shouldn't be able to just publish stuff as they want on on on, the, on, uh, on a platform like twitter they should have a multi-sig set up so a couple of people would have to sign a tweet and that would be useful from a company if you had an official company uh, twitter account for example you can have these multi-sig wallets signing something before you, you publish it and post it so that's quite cool you get to play with all the the funky public key cryptography hacks uh, because it's based on that and then as well so i was thinking with my diagon alley the decentralized marketplace if that were on nostar network the the messaging between merchant and buyer would be using the same like data type as the messaging on your twitter client so essentially so say if you have your twitter client and you also have like your decentralized marketplace thing where you're selling products you would have um, encrypted direct messages regard related to your to your shop like popping up if it was using the same account it would be popping up in your twitter direct messaging too because it's using the same, you know, protocol, like part of the protocol. 
So that would be quite interesting as well to have the ability to send data through lots of different platforms and then have it. Yeah. Like, so you could send a Reddit post from like a Nostar type Reddit thing. And then maybe in, cause you're following the person who released that Reddit post, you automatically get a little like preview of that in your Nostar Twitter thing. And you can click the read more. And then, so the information isn't reliant upon because like currently like Twitter's not going to share its information with Facebook, so it's going to share its information with Reddit, etc. Unless people specifically build things to do that and cross post or whatever. Whereas this, because you're using public keys, you could have it cross post. Wow. Um, so basically, finally, we could have one client and see all the messages from all the networks we're in. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would yeah. be If you wanted to, if not, say if you wanted your shop to be separate, then you just have mm -hmm. a separate key pair. But yeah, it's this, there's a lot of room for growth and Yeah, if anyone's interested, join us on the, I think it's telegram at me, dot me, t dot me, and then it's uh, backslash Nostar, N-O-S-T-R. So notes and other stuff, relays. And it's been uh, something of a sanctuary when we had all this crazy price action and everyone, because I, I really hate it when my Twitter feed is just filled with charts and people talking about the price because i quite liked it when you get a bear market and everyone's busy getting their head down and building things and producing interesting things and people aren't distracted by price yeah so it's quite it's quite nice to do something which isn't bitcoin centric during the the bull run mm. which was the nostar stuff yeah it's great I, i'm looking forward to seeing that grow and develop yeah me too i think it's a great uh, idea and a great concept and i hope uh, you will release it soon in a way that People can use it and are not uh, frightened. Yeah. 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 Cool. So you, I will put the links you were telling us about your work into the show notes. People can find you on GitHub and on Twitter at ArcBTC. No, Arc, sorry. Ben Arc. Ben Arc. Ben, Ben Arc. Yeah. yeah. That's a bit confusing. I should probably have the same name on both, but again, this is why we need an off-star. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Um, exactly. <laughs> Although at the moment it's, oh yeah, you can find me on 32Z1B6. <laughs> We've got this crazy public key address. But yeah, no, if you, to be honest, if you go on Twitter, Ben Ark, then the tweet which is pinned has links to my project, like some of my, my better projects, bigger projects. And you can then get to the GitHub that way. But yeah, if, if you want to go straight to the GitHub, it's Ark BTC. But yeah, if you're the Twitter profile, is probably the best place to go. And there's also then links in, the repos for all the projects to the tutorial playlist, mm -hmm. to the tutorial videos. So you should be able to find the playlist for the YouTube tutorials that way as well. Okay, great. Well, some of them I do, I will need to redo at some point because uh, I'm, because obviously I was, it's a learning process. Mm -hmm. So some of them, I, there's some improvements I need to make for some of the projects, but mm -hmm. yeah, I should release those soon. Okay, cool. Anything else that you want to tell our listeners? No, not really. Just look out for the, the Nostar stuff. And then it's not going to be fully functional out of the box. It's a protocol and free and open source software. So it's going to be minimal viable. It doesn't cost you anything to run the software, play around with it and give us feedback. If even if you're not a developer or a programmer, then, you know, you can download and run a piece of software on your particular device and your particular device it may might have some little quirk which other devices don't have and you spot some bug which other people don't spot and you can feed that back to people contribute where you can and it really helps out projects it really helps out these free and open source projects thank you thank you very much and yeah have a good time and i hope there will be a lightning hack day again soon and then we will meet again yeah i hope so too <laughs> I don't, I can't, i'm not holding my breath but yeah yeah exactly <laughs> let's, hope, let's hope normality will resume soon yes okay thank you bye bye cheers bye thanks so much for joining the anita posh show today to learn more about bitcoin You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link/show. 
If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production, Anita Posch. <laughs>